Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. The U.S. Market Update with Money FM 89.3. Good morning. Here's your market wrap with me, Ryan Huang. So we saw stocks selling off overnight as Fitch ratings downgraded the long-term rating for the US and we are seeing some risk-off sentiment resurfacing. And that most evident in the Nasdaq Composite, which shed 2.2% to 13,973. The S&P 500 pulled back 1.4% to close at 4,513. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average tumbled around 350 points or 1% in the red to 35,283. So once again, Fitch Fitch ratings cut the long-term foreign currency issuer default rating for the US to AA plus from AAA. And they they cited expected fiscal deterioration over the next three years. The last time this happened was back in 2011 when Standard & Poor's cut the rating from the top AAA down to AA plus as well. For more insights, we are joined by Nadine Terman. She is the CEO and CIO of Solstein Capital. Nadine, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Ryan. It's great to be back on Money FM 89.3. It's great to have you back, Nadine. So lots to unpack, but of course, the obvious issue here is the latest downgrade from Fitch Ratings. So I'm hearing a lot of things coming from many quarters. A lot of people seem to have been taken by surprise. They've been criticizing the downgrade. You've got JP Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon calling the downgrade ridiculous. And I guess not surprised that U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who is the chief marketer of U.S. government bonds, she has downplayed it as well. What do you make of the reaction so far? You know, I think it's natural that some people don't want to get people too concerned in the markets as well as you know consumers because sentiment can really drive consumer and business activity. So people can stop doing business. They might not take out that loan. They might save a little bit more. It can really halt activity. So it's not surprising that a lot of leaders in the financial community, either from the government or business, are coming out and saying, like, listen, don't focus on that. Um, but I think what was interesting, that it's really not about, I think, the downgrade, but one, the surprise, and two, just the messaging that there's a weakened confidence in the U.S.'s ability to deal with its debt from both a political and a financial perspective. So it's not just, you know, a, a knock on the financials in terms of the debt load, but also on the political landscape being less certain and in like unable to deal with these challenges and come together. So I think it's a message that you know, America really needs to listen to. Yeah, I did wonder as well how valid the downgrade was because they cited that the reason, one reason at least, was the worsening issue when it comes to U.S. debt ceiling. But that's been around for many years. Why now? Right. I think that they have a different view. You had Powell last week talking about the strong economic forecast. Obviously, a lot of analysts in last week, including Morgan Stanley, Mike Wilson over there, you know, flipping to being bullish and talking about this um, easy path to to land the plane on the water uh, as an analogy. But you have a situation where the Fed has pushed rates to a 22-year high. So we're really in a different place than Back in 2011, unemployment was super high, but you had low rates. And I think what Fitch is saying is that, you know, if our debt's going to reach 118% of GDP by 2025, and that's three times the median, of, which is 39%, among other AAA-rated countries, 
that they have to have some sort of structure in place to be evaluating what's going on here. So I think it is about the debt ceiling, but it's also about their view on the forecast as well as the debt load and what that means if rates stay high and sticky for longer. Yeah, you mentioned a couple of things and it seemed to paint a picture that the U.S. economy is chugging along pretty decently. You've got the labor market still quite strong. In fact, if you look at the latest data overnight, we had the ADP private payrolls. That painted a pretty robust picture. What do you make of the U.S. economy right now? Well, I think that people have to start going from A to B to C, right? So people brought tech up this year, not only because of the AI craze, but also because of the view that there was going to be a pause and pivot, right? And so long-duration assets went up when they thought rates would be going down. So people are going to jump on that bandwagon. But what happens if labor is strong and the market is solid? Most likely people will spend. Inflation will stay high or maybe go higher. And then I think you have to understand what happens to rates. Rates probably will stay there or go higher. And so you have to, I guess, go down a few different steps in the path to say, well, it's wonderful that the economy is strong. Then can you really assume that uh, the recent readings inflation, which showed more disinflation, would continue or would it move back up? If you have energy going back up potentially, which is you know, what some analysts are calling for, especially given some of the political uncertainty going on in the geopolitical areas in, um, in Africa, you could see energy move up and then guess what happens to inflation again. So I think you have to be really cautious of just looking at one data point at one time. I think everyone needs to think about that model of what happens then in these scenarios if the economy stays strong. Yeah, I'm trying to make sense of the market reaction right now. I'm seeing the U.S. dollar picking up right now. Dollar index up about 0.3%. It's also gaining ground against some of the other currencies. So talk to me about what you're looking at in the markets when it comes to um, how to position for at least the rest of the year when you've got the potential for rates to stay elevated. Uh, Where should you be looking right now? We do have dry powder in our accounts. And so what we look at is where is the asymmetry, what's non-consensus, what's baked in. And what we see is the relative growth spots in the world. So not just hanging them there like the U.S., are in Brazil, they're in Mexico, they're in Chile, they're in India, they're, you know, in Japan somewhat relative to prior times. So who is improving? What are the catalysts of those improvements? And so we like things like um, Mexico and, you know, and Brazil, where they don't really care if the U.S. or China wins. They are now key trading partners with both countries. Mm. And so I think you have to, th- you know, look a little bit outside the box to say, um, from the challenges that exist and the opportunities, who's going to benefit in any case? And then those tend to be the more asymmetric places that we're looking. Okay. And what's around the horizon when you look at the U.S. consumer spending strength? There is a lot happening here. Are you seeing people willing to pay more, for example, for price hikes at this point? Uh, I think what you're seeing out of Unilever, uh, you know, Starbucks and what their messaging, you also heard it. Obviously, um, from PayPal today in terms of uh, the credit quality, it goes hand in hand, I think, with businesses in pricing. And you've seen a destruction in demand in certain areas. Mm. So, yes, uh, maybe perfumes and luxury have done well. But then there's other areas of weakness that you've seen from the Prince and LVMH and others. And so I don't think that you can just assume that it's all one consumer and are they healthy or not. You really have to parse through what's going on. 
And when you layer on what's coming down the pike, for example, here in the U.S., about 28 million dollars, sorry, 28 million people are going to have to start paying on their student loan debt after having it paused for three years this fall. You know, what's going to happen to that group of consumers? So if you were playing, you know, low end retail, maybe those consumers won't be able to buy that second pair of shoes. And Mm -hmm. so really understanding not just what has happened in the last six months, but what are the key challenges of these people? And you look at PayPal and you look at, you know, what some companies are telling you. You can't just keep raising prices and expect people to behave in the same way. Yeah. So that 28 million number of students having repay seems to be about $1.5 trillion worth. So you can imagine the magnitude of what might be the impact once that starts to roll out. And another point you've um, been watching is what's been playing out for the Bank of Japan. So last week, we had a bit of a signal and that seemed to suggest that the BOJ is a step closer to turning its policies around at least. So that raises some expectations that perhaps the JGBs or the Japanese bonds could become more attractive in time to come. Are you seeing any signs of that happening in terms of capital flow, people flocking back to Japan away from U.S. markets? You know, it's really interesting because we expected that the move would have been greater. But then, you know, the deputy governor did come back out and said, you know, they're far from raising short-term rates, don't anchor on last week's policy adjustment. So I think what they've done is given people warning of what's to come, but maybe not what's imminent. But you're right in that we are positioned in Japan, but I don't think it's a you're either in or you're out. You have to understand that if the yen rises, who is going to do well, who's not going to do well. And oftentimes if rates are going up um, in in conjunction with that, then their uh, stock market tends not to do not to do well. Hmm. So there will be winners and losers. There's some value plays that most likely would win. Obviously, EV plays if that stays strong. So you really have to, it's not that you can just invest all in one country based on this. I really think you have to do your homework and say, who are the winners and losers? But it could take a lot of time from what you're asking, you know, months to years to have that capital that's been locked up, whether in the U.S. or other countries, kind of repatriate it back into the Japanese economy and markets. So, you you know, markets might guess what's going to happen, but you won't really see that capital flows. It'll just be a wind at, at their back to have that money coming back into their country. All right. That's a great overview of what's been playing out in the markets. Subin Cheng, Nadine Terman, she is the CEO and CIO of Solstein Capital. Nadine, it's been great chatting with you today. Thanks so much for me and have a wonderful party. You too. Thank you. <laughs> Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to the full interview, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.